Welcome to the Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin, and my guest today is Juliette DeClerc. She is the founder and CEO at JDI Research. I wanted to get Juliette's thoughts on the three to six month outlook for both the US equities and economy. And that's what we talk about today. If you enjoy my work, I publish a weekly newsletter. It comes out every Sunday. You should subscribe. It's a ton of fun. I love writing it. I would love to have you join the team. I share my key takeaways from conversations just like this and plenty others. I share where I'm allocating capital and anything else that's catching my attention. There is a link right beneath this piece of content where you can subscribe and join 40,000 other investors who hear from me every Sunday. Love to have you join the team. All right, here is Juliette DeClerc. Enjoy. Okay, guys, welcome back to The Jay Martin Show. I am joined right now by Juliette DeClerc. Juliette, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it took us a while to get this scheduled, so I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, now I want to start with the concept of a soft landing. It's something that I've heard you discuss before on other shows, but not recently. And so if we could start there, could you give me your definition of what a soft landing would be and if you think this is a, a possible future uh, in the U.S. economy? I mean, the first thing I think we need to define when we're talking about soft landing is maybe the investment uh, horizon. Uh, my sort of like um, investment uh, horizon is, you know, three to six months. Uh, my clients are like uh, institutional. Uh, they need to make money, you know, on the, on a sort of like a three months, six monthsly basis, certainly um, every year. So I'm not looking. So when I'm talking about soft landing, uh, I'm talking about like there is going to be uh, no hard recession in my investment horizon. So obviously, you know, we're not saying there's never going to be a recession ever again. Um, you know, so so I, I think that's the nuance that we have to add um, to that uh, in terms of soft landing. Um, if if we appreciate that definition, I would say the main thing is that. Um, we don't get a doom loop uh, in the labor market. Uh, what I mean by a doom loop is basically um, a, a sort of like a vicious cycle where basically you're starting to see uh, layoff feeding through lower demand, which in turn feeds through um, lower um, um, uh, lower employment. And, and that's the reason why you never really get a zero more than a 0.4% uh, in, in an employment without like a, a much um, a higher level of unemployment, basically because of, of that doom loop. So um, that's what I define as a soft landing. But when I was talking about, um, you know, soft landing or no landing from um, and recommending to buy uh, stocks from uh, November uh, last year, the reason really is that there was no way in, you know, there was like basically recession uh, priced in uh, for the beginning of 2023 and, and investors completely obsessed about like the early 2023 uh, recession. And what I saw um, through my framework uh, was that there would there was no way um, a recession would be so um, quick. And, and the reason 
Um, and I think I've been uh, validated uh, on that and, and, and my call to buy European, European stocks from early November has proved um, right. And, and the reason was like cyclical, so a continuation of the cycle. And what I saw was that, yes, of course, monetary conditions were going to tighten. But more importantly, in this cycle, every cycle is, is really different. So you, you can't really use uh, past cycles to look at what will happen in the future. But really what, what happens uh, today is that central banks are pushing down um, inflation and, and lower inflation is actually re releasing uh, purchasing power. So in other words, uh, you, you have like central banks raising rates. Um, higher rates is not feeding through to the real economy straight away. But what is feeding through to the economy um, you know, faster is basically the release of purchasing power via low inflation. And, and that's especially true because wages tend to lag inflation by about like a year. So in other words, you basically go to your boss um, you know, a year after you're actually seeing inflation and you're asking for the raise. So what I thought would happen is that early 2023 was about um, you know, people realizing that yes, inflation is painful, but it is coming down. And that's obviously what you're seeing uh, in, in the States in particular with goods and obviously real estates and, and also, um, you know, headline inflation like petrol and, and, and et cetera. And yet, um, you know, there's still some um, um, bargaining power uh, on the wage side, which means that uh, purchasing power will actually increase. And, and I think that's really what happened um, early this year is that you're seeing the purchasing power released through lower goods prices feeding through to uh, uh, higher services demand. Um, so I hope that's um, I'm answering your question here. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. And and so let me ask you this. what What's your key takeaway thus far from the bank collapses that we've seen over the last two weeks? Well, the first thing um, about the bank, what you call like the bank collapse, is that um, first thing is that it was written uh, in stone uh, already like, um, you know, three to six months ago. Uh, I think one thing that investors um, forget easily is that banks are actually fully part of the transmission mechanism uh, of like um, tight uh, financial conditions. Uh, there's different ways higher um, interest rates um, affect the economy. Uh, you've got on one side, obviously, higher rates, you know, makes it um, um, more expensive to borrow. Uh, you also have like the front end of the curve, um, lower, higher rates make it more exciting to save. Uh, but one thing that's, that's really important as well is the fact that um, with an um, uh, inverted curve, uh, the, the profitability model of banks uh, basically disappears. What's happened um, in, in the past uh, six months or a year is that there wasn't much transmission mechanism from on, on this side because deposits were not remunerated. And, and that was true in the US. It was true um, in Europe as well. So even if the yield curve was deeply inverted and, and uh, you know, two stands around like a minus 110 uh, on the treasury side is, is probably the, the, the deepest ever. But even if that was the case, if the, the model, the bank model wasn't hurt that much because they were able to take deposits and, and at zero pretty much, which yeah. meant that they had like a, a, a very um, steep 
um, curve, but obviously artificial, and it couldn't last uh, forever. So what's happening uh, right now and what markets are fully repricing uh, is the fact that free money, free banking money is, is basically gone, that, you know, there is no scope um, anymore for uh, taking deposits and, and not remunerating because there's obviously uh, an arbitrage, um, you know, going into treasuries. Um, you know, it's easier probably in the US than, than in Europe. But the fact is, it needs to be taken into account because, you know, whether it happens in the next uh, two weeks or, or in the next six months, it will damage um, the, the the bank the banking profitability model. One thing we have to remember as well is that um, obviously that's something banks are not normally um, you know should be managing, but the problem is um, um, the <clears throat> is how fast um, uh, rates have repriced and how uncertain um, the environment. I think you know if put yourself back to um, early 2022. I think probably the the most like um, bearish strategist um, on 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 where Fed funds might go uh, was probably thinking like 1.5, like two percent. Uh, I mean, certainly um, not uh, the sort of like five uh, percent uh, we are at now. Um, you know, when I look at myself, you know, I mean, I'm in UK and and I had some like um, <clears throat> some cash to manage, and, and I started at 2.5 percent. I started to think. Wow, you know, like one year, two and a half percent, that's interesting. And luckily, you know, I only started to to deep in at 2.5 percent. And, and now I still have uh, uh funds to 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 benefit from like the sort of like five percent um we, we, we're getting right now. But some banks got it wrong and, and they're gonna be the first to go. But it doesn't change the fact that well it, it doesn't change the no, please go it ahead. doesn't change the fact that um, what's happening in the banking sector right now is desired uh, by central banks. It's part of the normal way. Um, uh, it's it's part of the normal transmission mechanism from monetary policy to the credit crunch, uh, and therefore it's it's a symptom um, of of what's happening, which is that we have inflation and and we need we need to rein in credit. It's a symptom rather than a disease. So when I hear clients saying, you know, how are we going to fix banks? Well, we shouldn't be wanting to fix banks because we don't want them to lend. Interesting. Okay. And so when you say some banks won't get it right, I mean, it was hard for them to get it right because they're chasing a return as well, right? And when rates are at zero for yeah. foreseeably ever, I mean, that, that was a message, you know, put out by Powell. Um, you know, you're, you're borrowing cash from depositors, you're lending it to somebody else at a higher rate. That's the bank model. It's, it's as simple as that, right? If you can't find a higher return on your dollar, then you have to look for typically longer duration to achieve that higher return. That's where the trap was, right? Banks were seeking higher duration um, treasuries in order to achieve that spread and rates went up way faster exactly. and they were trapped in their hold till maturity securities, you know. So would you expect us to see more collapses or cash calls like we saw over the last two, three weeks? Do you think, because this is very common, I mean, every bank's been doing this, some are hedged better than others, but the situation that Silicon Valley Bank found itself in is by no means unique at all, right? And if you look at yeah. the uh, unrealized losses of the, the biggest banks in America, whether that's, you know, Bank of America, I mean, it's it's quintuple what what 
Silicon Valley Bank is sitting on, um, as is Wells Fargo, as is Citigroup, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, coming down to the community banks, do you expect more more situations like this? Is is there going to be other trigger events that could cause continued contagion? Or what do you what do you think about this? I mean, I, I, I certainly wouldn't be buying um, bank stocks uh, here. Um, I don't expect, um, you know, deposit anybody's deposit to be at risk. I think, um, you know, Powell and and all all central banks have learned from 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 the Lehman, um, you know, like disaster, and and I don't think anyone should be worried um, about their deposits. Um, you know, banks, even if they're like a corpse, like Credit Suisse, right? They're still going to be there. Um, you know, there'll be like a dark hole in which, um, you know, UBS is going to be like pouring money and, and the central banks is going to keep pouring money. Um, but uh, the fact is, is that the issue is the profitability model, which will not be restored before uh, curves basically disinvert. And, and that's really the, the main concern um, I have right now. It wasn't an issue until, um, you know, deposits started to, fl to flee from um, banks to, to basically treasuries. But now it will be a recurring issue. And the other thing that we need to bear in mind as well, I think Powell yesterday um, and, and investors are like um, sort of like comforted by the fact that there will be liquidity and that liquidity will be abundant. The problem is like liquidity at the zero or even like minus um, fifty base point, like um, or minus seventy five base point, like 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 we had in in Europe, is not the same as liquidity, which actually costs you five percent. So I think we we have to like really bear in mind. Uh, yes, there is liquidity, but it's really expensive liquidity, and it's not about the amount, but about the the price um, of that liquidity, and that is not going away um, unless inflation really collapses. Um, so that's my issue right now. Um, really, um, I, I think investors are still way too um, um, you know, positive and, and optimistic about the way uh, we're going to get out of this sort of like banking uh, crisis. And, and what I expect is that um, you know the credit crunch will happen and it will be uh, really painful and and come at a time where we're starting to get less of the um, sort of like purchasing power release that I was talking about and and potentially um that's what we're gonna price uh in in the coming weeks uh which is basically um, lower credit lower demand and you know in the end lower inflation and disinverted curves but I'm I really struggle to see how this will not um, happens through at least a flash recession. And I think that's what um, markets are going to price uh, from now. Um, you know, with financial conditions, the problem is like, you, you know, you're hiking uh, rates and, and you don't really know, especially after the uh, COVID uh, crisis and, and the fact that governments have injected so much cash. Um, you know, no one knows. Central banks don't know. I don't know. I think I've got a bit of an idea, but we don't know where is the equilibrium rate. So we could be, you know, two percent restrictive. We could be like, um, or we could be like, uh, still probably like fifty base point easy. Um, but when you see like um, um, the curve disinvert by like uh, fifty base point, like we've seen in in the last week, um, it's markets really telling you something. Um, you know, I normally. 
uh, like to say, you know, flattening, flattening of the curve is not really an issue for uh, in terms of like um, um, defining when the next recession is going to come. Um, markets are telling you that the next recession is coming when the, the, the curve finally sharply disinverts. And that's what's happening right now. And what markets are telling us is that we are actually already too restrictive. And the reason we got there is because there's such a massive and um, uncertain lag between where Fed funds are and where um, it's feeding through to the real economy. And, and, and that's been made even more uncertain by the fact that bank curves were like nowhere, were looking nowhere like uh, yield curves. So in other words, like until recently, you still had really steep bank curves, which means there was, you know, credit was still flowing. Like um, last year, uh, I've been like following the credit impulse in the US and, and in Europe, and I was just like really taken aback by, uh, um, you know, the fact that credit was still flowing despite the red truck. And the problem is that um, it's sort of like doesn't fit through, like, um, you know, higher rates don't fit through to um, tighter financial conditions. And then it fits all at once. And, and for me, that's what's happening right now, where, you know, bank, bank curves are basically converging to the actual yield curves, which are still uh, about 50 basis point inverted. And that's basically gonna, going to cause a sudden stop uh, in credit um, at a time where uh, the economy is already a lot weaker and, and, and weakening. And, and we, we're basically beyond the sort of like dead cow bounce um, of, um, of the early 2023. So then walk me through how you would anticipate equity markets to respond to that. I mean, I think through how consumers would respond to that kind of a credit crunch. It's interesting to me that you said there's a bit of a lag between, you know, higher rates, but people are still borrowing more or less. And I wondered, is this just, is this just psychology? You've been used to cheap credit for a few years. You're going to continue that course of business, even when credit becomes more expensive for a little while, at least. People have a, a bit of a, you know, inertia, right? And they'll maintain a, a debt-based lifestyle as long as they can, as long as there's a, a yes at whatever cost, right? As long as you can acquire debt, people will do it. Um, you know, in an absolute credit crunch, it's, you know, it's a deflationary event, is it not? Because when lending stops, it's, it's quite deflationary. How would you expect the, the equities market to respond? And I guess investor behavior to respond in that scenario. I think the problem is we're going to see a vicious circle as well, because when you're talking about the price of credit, you obviously you need to look in real terms. So, you know, if rates are at 5% and you expect inflation to be at 10%, uh, you know, you're, you're still happily uh, borrowing, right? Okay. Um, so so it's, it's, it's all about, um, you know, your inflation expectations as well. If you if rates are at five percent and inflation and inflation expectations collapse from say like seven uh, percent to like two and a half, you actually can get the the, the squeeze and 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 the, the sort of like sudden stop uh, in credit just coming from lower inflation expectations, which is what central banks uh, want. So, on both sides of the equation, you're gonna have basically um, rates that become way too high. Uh, and markets suddenly realizing 
that um, higher rates are actually feeding through to um, tighter financial conditions. So that's one side of the equation. On the other side, you actually will have inflation expectations collapsing, which means that the real the real consumer yield is actually going to like uh, explode potentially in the next uh, few months, um, which means that um, demand will really take a big hit um, in terms of what that will do to um, the stock market. I think so far the stock market, especially in the US, has been bailed uh, by the circa like 100 basis point uh, drop uh, in yield. But the first thing is like the long end hasn't dropped uh, this much. Uh, and, and the second thing is that, um, you know, wh when there is go going to be a, a recession, of course, it will be led uh, by cyclicals. Um, but I don't see how uh, growth sectors are going to bell the whole um, the whole index. So I'm actually looking for a revisit for SNP. I'm actually looking to revisit at least uh, the lows of um, of October. Okay, where are you allocating on, capital on the back on the back of um, of of lower um, lower earnings? Uh, lower growth and and at the moment I don't anticipate uh, anything else than a flash recession, but on that really time will tell um, only and um, you know it's I think the the labor market is extremely strong uh, at the moment, but again that can be something that turns around really quickly uh, on a dime we can turn the same way um, you know financial conditions will tighten all at once after nothing happened and and the problem is like nothing happening is what really make central banks like fill in their comfort zone and and they would love for every rate hike to actually you know smooth have a smooth curve and a smooth reaction reaction function to the to the economy but it's never how it works um if, if you just refer back to the the last sort of this this sort of cycle we've seen in in 2018 was the same sort of like uh, you know the curve flattened uh, the whole year and you didn't quite know where you would tip over uh, the economy and, and and markets, but that's really what happened in December when we had like this crash, and 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 that caused um, the, the the Fed to pivot. That's what I expect in in, in the next few months, and and potentially next week. Potentially next week. So talk yeah. to me about your portfolio. Are you are you sitting in like heavy cash, heavy safe havens, treasuries? Where are you? Where are you weighted right now? So I like treasuries. I like duration. Um, I like um, I like to be short dollar against uh, currencies that are uh, risk averse, like the yen. I really like um, to sell sell dollar yen. I'm looking for like a, a 125 as a first target. I think um, Europe is much further behind um, in terms of like the inflation cycle. So yeah. the, the inflation cycle goes from uh, commodities to goods to services and 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 the way it works is um companies have to build um, to rebuild their profitability models so you basically get um, um higher commodity prices feeding through to higher goods prices and then the consumer has to rebuild his purchasing power and so therefore you actually get wages catching up to to goods prices in the US, I think we are near the, we are at the tail end of, of, of that sort of like um, inflation cycle. In Europe, goods prices are actually still going up. 
and 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 basically companies are rebuilding their profitability models on any sort of bounce uh, in demand. So I think it will be much more difficult for the for the for the for the ECB to uh, even if there is like a, a concerns on bank profitability and and even if demand take a hit, uh, I think it will be much more difficult for the ECB to justify uh, a pause. Uh, anytime soon. So I like euro dollar higher as well. Uh, my first target is is one twelve there, um, and and I've recommended clients um, take off their long equities um, two weeks ago. Um, I was recommending until since since November. I was recommending long um, euro stocks and and long emerging markets, and I took took that off and and went uh, short U.S. equities, which I think um, are the most overvalued. And where um, you know you're going to see the first hits in terms of um, demand because um, the central banks was the fastest to basically get to restrictive levels, and obviously in the US as well, um, the the difference between the US and and Europe as well is that there's much less of a fit through um, in Europe from um, you know like stocks and and risk generally to like you know real demand um, in 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 Europe equities go down ten percent nobody see it. Uh, in US, stocks go down uh, 10% and it's got almost a direct impact on, on ISM, whether you're looking at the services or or manufacturing. So th- there's much, it, it's much faster. Everything is much faster in the US. And so I think um, the Fed is probably, we're already probably at a peak um, in terms of like Fed funds. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And, and even if like uh, yesterday was uh, supposedly quite dovish, um, I think it can get, um, you know, we're, we're going to keep uh, pricing uh, more cuts on the back of tighter financial conditions. And when Powell says, you know, like uh, the, the banking uh, crisis is equivalent to like a few hikes, um, I mean, for me, it doesn't really make sense because uh, the whole thing is about discovering, for them to discover at what level um, rates are already restrictive. And if banks are telling you that um, they're basically um, in crisis, then that's telling you we we are already restrictive and you should already be considering cutting. Okay, we're there. You think Powell recognizes that we're there and therefore you'd expect either, do you expect any more rate hikes at all, Juliet, or do you think this is it? Um, I think this is it because um, uh, financial conditions will tighten or, I mean, unless we basically get like some sort of like a miracle numbers uh, in inflation. Uh, And again, you know, in the US, I think it's possible. So there is like sort of like a a tight exit door. Uh, If you're looking on a six months basis, uh, we are already close to like the 2% um, target. So I'm I'm not really worried. Um, of course, on a year-on-year basis, um, it, it will it will take a bit more time, but the disinflation process is very much um, in progress, and it's been progressing like I expected it uh, in the U.S. So I think it would be quite easy for for the Fed to say, you know what, we're almost done, and we started to to see a bit more like uh, tightening that we would expect. Uh, on the back of like basically central the, the the credit crunch and 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 sudden stop in in credit, so therefore we we we're already looking to um to cut. Uh, if you're looking at their forecast, I mean they are expecting um, Fed funds at like I think just above four percent by the end of 2024 according to the dots, and that's with inflation still above two percent. So I think that's really telling you that the Fed's reaction function is not just about inflation. 
uh, but also about um, trying to achieve a soft landing, uh, which you won't be able to achieve if you allow the labor market to get into a doom loop um, where you're getting, uh, you know, low employment, feeding through to lower demand, and then feeding through again to to low, low employment. So I think that there's a lot of um, levers still uh, for the, for for the U.S. to achieve a soft landing, uh, but the probability has gone down quite dramatically uh, now that we know, um, you know, that we're already in restrictive territories. The curve is re-steepening, um, and and the Fed is not acknowledging it. Okay. Now, I feel like we're kind of bouncing between major point of chaos to major point of chaos. And I'm in, I'm based in North America. Right now, everybody's focused on these near-term bank crises and maybe what might happen next. But, you know, only a month and a half ago, we were more focused on bigger geopolitical crises, right? And those haven't gone anywhere. They're ever present and they're not done with us, so to speak. I mean, the last three years has just been a sort of continued trajectory of unprecedented chaos, whether um, you're looking at, obviously, that the pandemic was massively disruptive, global economic shutdowns, et cetera. And then the following year, civil unrest spread around the world. The following year, a hot war breaks out in Europe. Now we're back to some domestic issues. But there's so much volatility that I am incredibly hesitant, Juliet, to do to deploy capital really anywhere right now. My my portfolio is remarkably conservative and boring. And I just feel like it's probably the smartest thing I can do is to do nothing right now. Um, do you think I'm, I'm missing opportunities though? Am I like, I'm, and what that means for me, just to put that in, in context, I guess, is I'm sitting on uh, cash, real estate, gold, and I, I'm sitting on a bunch of Bitcoin. I, I just, I put it in that bucket as well. Um, knowing that it's, you know, it's inc- incredibly volatile compared to those earlier three, but I like the exposure. Do you think I'm missing opportunities or is now the time to be patient, wait, and just maybe let things settle a little bit? What do you think? Because I feel like whatever's around the next door, it's going to be big. I don't know what it is yet. I mean, I think there is um, uh, massive uncertainty and that opens like um, pretty big opportunities. Okay. Um, so if you're an investor, I can understand you're just happy to like get your whatever 4.55 percent uh, in cash. But the fact that there's so much uncertainty means that you're getting uh, the kind of like uh, markets are, are basically schizophrenic. Uh, so you know, like um, early this year, everybody was like talking about like the you know recession and and you know the end of the world really. Uh, you know, a month later. Uh, we were talking about the we were pricing like uh, uh, Fed funds going to like um, what was the top like five seventy five you know we were talking about like uh, the need to go to like six percent. Um, so for me, I mean, it, it's volatility that if you've got a really strong anchor uh, in terms of like uh, you know your three to six month view, you you actually get some really good trading opportunity between you know everybody calling for a recession and you being like, you know what, actually there's an in-between there. I'm not seeing a recession right now. And I managed to like catch, um, you know, 15% plus uh, in stocks just on the back of basically pricing out the early 2023 recession. Um, The same way uh, in treasuries, right? You had like the higher, everybody got massively in love with like the higher for longer, uh, you know, 
you know it never happens like that and and you know you're you're sort of like getting into um ex over exaggerated um move um you never get like uh you know to level of like a, that's restrictive and you can stay there uh for for a long time it just doesn't happen I've, you know i think the average uh cut after the peak of rate is basically like three to four months so you know when when we basically priced out priced out the whole 2023 i mean that was a massive opportunity as well so i see a lot of trading opportunities on the back of markets basically um being exuberant and because of the, the the current uncertainty, basically trading the last like two points of of, of data, and that's really what happened with like the January PCE, uh, which wasn't so much corroborated with with CPI, but you basically have like um you know Fed um, FOMC members also looking at that number, and suddenly everybody's looking at that one number and completely losing sight of the forest for the trees. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for me, it's more like trading opportunities, keeping um, sight of what's really happening and, and your sort of like middle scenario and trading um, trading out of um, markets just being, um, you know, schizophrenic, really. Yeah. OK. OK. Juliet, look, I want to thank you for your time and, and for coming on today. I appreciate it. I want to point everybody over to JDI Research. Um, do you want to give us a quick breakdown of what they'll find there and, and anywhere else we should point our viewers to today? So at JDR Research, what I'm, I do is really give you um, a trading roadmap. Um, my, the idea behind uh, my research is to try and not add noise uh, so that we're actually able to benefit from, from, the, from the sort of markets we, we are in right now where if you've got a good idea of what's what will happen in the next three to six months you can actually trade in and out um of um uh, markets um exuberance um I'm, the way i work is by giving really clear um trading um opportunities and trading recommendations so i'm fully accountable to my uh macro views and 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 really i'm the, the role I'm, I'm playing for for my clients is really connecting the dots uh, from macro to to markets, which which few um, are doing. Uh, my clients are everywhere in the world, uh, mostly institutional, um, from hedge funds to real money, um, and to family to, to family offices, um, and and I also have like a, a premium service where I basically speak to you um, every day and and I've only like 15 clients uh, uh, in that services. And that's more like the CIO slash uh, CEO service. Uh, but again, really my, my research is based on trying to, um, you know, filter the noise for you. I love it. Okay, I'll include links to JDI's website as well as you're quite active on Twitter. And I recommend people follow Juliet. I want to thank you again for your time. It was a pleasure chatting with you. It was a pleasure, pleasure chatting with you too. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.